0: I proved it to him. The father, like many dads, had, had mixed emotions about uh, this situation. He didn't like the idea of his son getting into fist fights with uh, other boys, but he suspected that he was probably only defending himself. And he was glad he didn't run away, but that he stood his ground. And thus began an interrogation between the father and the son. The father wanted to know the details just to be sure his hunch was correct. And the boy explained that an older boy, a boy the father knew well, uh, had been bullying him and some of the other younger children. And uh, he had no choice, he said, but to defend himself. And so he lit into the bigger boy with all his might. Well, the father was secretly proud of his son for his courage, but he couldn't help asking him, weren't you just a little bit afraid? And the boy replied, No, I knew Norman, his much bigger brother, was just around the corner, and that if I yelled, he'd come and help me. So I had no fear, because I knew Norman was right nearby. The father reporting that story added this. It's a grand thing to have a big brother or sister in reserve. And it is. The thing is, though, when we think about a story like this, that most of us don't like to be the little child in this story. At least I think most of us would like to be the big brother or sister or think of ourselves that way rather than the little child in the story you know the hero who's uh, ready to step in and help and save the weaker one but the passage before you today in that passage you find the apostle john referring to believers in general as little children in john 1st john chapter 3 and verse 18 He begins the verse by saying, my little children. And how a believer reacts to that description says a great deal about the nature of his or her relationship with the Lord. Generally speaking, anyone who is beyond, say, the age of a toddler, who doesn't really know any better anyway, usually finds this description offensive to his or her pride. Say to any adult, you're acting like a child. And it's clearly an insult, isn't it? And if you add to that, you're acting like a little child. You're being infantile. And you'll probably find that you've churned up some anger no matter how true it might be about the behavior of the other person. It's not something we like to hear. But even teens and preteens don't like it any better because the truth is that even little children don't like to be called little children usually. I try to be careful when I'm speaking in chapel at Heritage not to address the students as children but to address them as students so that uh, I won't offend them by making it look like I'm looking down on them as children. Probably the only thing that could make being called a little child more stressful would be if it was followed with a reprimand of some kind or some sort of correction, which, of course, in this case it is. You little children don't love in word and in tongue, but love in deed and in truth. You shouldn't be loving just in word and tongue, but you should be loving in action and in sincerity. The acceptance of the term little children is a matter, first beloved, of humility. If one can't accept his or her weaknesses and ignorance spiritually, then he or she cannot accept correction. If we can't face the fact that spiritually we are like little children... We can't accept the correction and the instruction that's given to us in the word. We can't gain that help effectually. Quite some time ago now, we we talked about the word of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite, and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones the lord talks about his communion and fellowship with those who are humble in his sight who understand the the difference between him and themselves what he provides and what they need the proud resist instruction god says and then he adds and i resist them those who aren't willing to come as little children to the word of God and be instructed, who are resistant out of pride to God and to his truth, are resisted by him. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So the first step in being able to put feet to the instruction that's given here in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18 is to be able to accept what's given here humbly, remembering the words of Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 18 and verses 1 through 4, we read, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You see, beloved, no one can love in a Christ-like fashion who's without a degree of spirit-born humility. You can't do it. The servants, we're the servants of the one who said in Matthew 11, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those who are going to be representatives of the one who said that, they must themselves be humble <coughs> excuse me they must themselves be humble before him and before others in his name in philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 we read let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself let each of you look not out look out not only for his own interest but also for the interests of others So the first thing that we're confronted here with is the humility that is set before us by this term, little children. Little children, don't love, don't be loving just in word and in tongue. But be loving in deed and in truth. The next thing that I think comes to mind when we think of little children is teachability. It implies the need for direction. If I'm just a little child, I need to be directed. I need to be guided. We all acknowledge that truth. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That implies the need of children to be instructed and guided and, and told what needs to be done. In Ephesians 6.4, we're told, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Train them, instruct them, correct them, and bring them along. Little children need guidance and direction. And this education includes discipline which is a sign of love and sincerity in instruction the Holy Spirit reminds us in the book of Hebrews of the exhortation of the book of Proverbs which says this and this is Hebrews quoting Proverbs Hebrews chapter 12 verse 10 verse 5 my son do not despise the chastening of the Lord nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with the son. With sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us to seem best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Beloved, in this situation, you and I are more inclined by nature to be satisfied with loving in word and tongue. than to be loving others with sacrificial actions and sincerity. It's just the truth about us. It's just who we are. And this is the instruction of the word of God to us as little children, that that is not sufficient. And we need to understand that just having the word and just having a tongue of sympathy is not sufficient in and of itself. And John gently reminds us of this notion, pointing out its error. He's not saying that we shouldn't comfort each other verbally. <laughs> he's not saying you should never say a kind word to anybody. That's useless. He's not saying that. And he's not saying that sympathetic words can't be helpful and encouraging sometimes sometimes. That's all you can do. But what he's saying is that the sort of love that Christ commands goes beyond that and that it extends to actual deeds done in truth and sincerity. And those deeds take on all sorts of forms. Sometimes it's nothing more than just being willing to sit with somebody. And not say anything, but just to listen. Sometimes it's not even just to listen. It's just to sit with them because of the need that they have. We need to understand, beloved, the the paucity or the emptiness of that love which is only offered in word and tongue. We need to understand that it doesn't rise to the standard of proof of the love for Christ that he commands. And that's the standard here. What is the the love that he commands? When he says, if you love me, keep my commandments, what does he mean in this context? And John is saying he doesn't mean it's sufficient to love in word and tongue. He's saying it needs to go beyond that. You know, children are often mistaken about things, especially little children. Um, they're, they're mistaken about things or, or they think things are something different than what they actually are for one reason or another. Bonnie's brother-in-law used aluminum ladders in his work all the time. And uh, to his little daughter, those ladders look silver-colored. And uh, those silver ladders were a common sight to children, and especially to his children. So it was no surprise to one of them to hear that dad had fallen off the golden ladder and had to go to the hospital. And when she was in class and they were asking for a prayer requests, she said, Well, I want you to pray for my dad who fell off the golden ladder. It seemed strange to the teacher because she couldn't understand why he was on a golden ladder, what that meant. And she soon found out that he was in the hospital because he was having gallbladder surgery. But his daughter heard it as the golden ladder. And that's why he's in the hospital. He fell off the golden ladder. My little children, says John, it's not sufficient It's not adequate to love in word and tongue. If that's what you hear when you hear this command to be loving others, if that's all you hear, you're not hearing accurately. The love required is that which is shown in deeds or actions and in truth. So this is a message to little children because they need to be taught. So... First, there needs to be humility. Then there needs to be teachability. Thirdly, it's an expression of affection. And primarily, it's an expression of affection. It's corrective, but it's not meant to be peevish. It's affectionate, not mocking. He's not saying, all right, you little children... Stop loving just in tongue and and in word. And love indeed. It's not what he's doing. He's he's using an affectionate term here. Not to mock, but to draw them in. And John doesn't come up with this term and use it here and elsewhere in his epistles on his own initiative. First, his words are inspired, of course, by God the Holy Spirit. And secondly, he's using a term he heard and learned elsewhere. In fact, It's only used twice like this outside of the writings of John. One of those places is used by the Apostle Paul. And that's in Galatians chapter 4 and verses 19 and 20, where Paul says to the Galatians, My little children, for whom I labor and birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. And Paul's using it kind of in the same sense here, isn't he? This is a reprimand that Paul's bringing. And so he he calls on them to be humble and to be teachable and to realize that this isn't something that is a point of tension between them, that he despises them or anything. He loves them as his little children. But the other time it appears in Scripture, in this context is the most significant for our study here. We have to go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. So we go from 1 John, chapter 3, to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And I'm beginning with verse 21. When Jesus said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And right away, those words tell us the context of the scene. This is at the Last Supper. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, and we believe that to be John himself. Simon Peter, therefore, motioned to him to ask who it was that he was speaking about. Who, who is going to betray him? Find out. Find out who's going to betray him. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought because Judas had the money box that Jesus said to him, buy those things we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately and it was night. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, that is in the Son of Man, in Christ, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You shall seek me, and as I said to the Jews where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another As I have loved you, that you also love one another. So you see, John, the first time he had heard this term, little children, used in relationship to believers was to him as a disciple after Judas had left under the command that followed immediately a new commandment I give you that you love one another. So John had first received this commandment about loving others from Christ under the title of his being a little child. And so you see that he carries that into his epistle and then says to you and me as disciples of Jesus Christ, Listen little children. You can't fulfill this command of Christ just by loving in word and tongue. The way it is to be fulfilled is indeed in action and in truth. So what we see is that this term little children was Christ's affectionate term for his disciples. And the ears and hearts of those who love him and are are truly desirous of being his disciples should perk up at that term when they hear it. When you hear these words, my little children, the disciple, when he hears that, responds by saying, hey, that's me. That's me. I'm the one being addressed here. He's talking about me. He's, call, he, he's, he's bringing up something for my special attention. Because that's me. I'm, I'm that little child. Because I'm a disciple of Christ. And rather than being put off by the term, it brings comfort and joy to the Christian's heart. And, and the response is, when you hear that, little children, the response of the Christian's heart is, yes, what, should I, what do you want me to do? What do I need to know? What instruction do I need here? What what direction do I need? What correction do I need? Yes, that's me. I'm the little child. Lord, what do I need? But to get the full impact of this term, you need to look back to the opening of 1 John chapter 3, where John writes this, and this is back at the beginning of this chapter in his epistle. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it is not yet... hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure and here you see beloved being a little child is in no way demeaning or hurtful on the contrary to be tenderly to be the tenderly loved child of God is a distinction and a grand one at that by your redemption you are recast as it were in the image and by the work of in his image and by the work of sanctification that image is worked into you and that's what's being called for here is that work of sanctification being worked into you don't be satisfied with loving just in word and tongue but but Go beyond that. Seek by the, the grace of God and by the power of the Spirit working in you to go beyond that and to love in deeds and in truth. But notice first as we consider it in the light of our how we ought to love others that it begins with this free grace. John says here at the beginning of this chapter, Behold, That is, look with awe and with wonder. Consider carefully how you've been lovingly called to be a child of God. Then take a moment to consider who and what you were when you were called. And I can't tell you how important this is to you and me being able to love in deeds and in truth, Because how have we been loved? How have we been brought into this blessed state of being a little child of God? By grace. Not by merit. Not by anything that we've done. But God is determined to show us love and to make us his own. And that's the way this grace that we're talking about, this love that we're talking about, needs to be shown. Not on the basis of merit, but on the basis of grace. So we go about doing these deeds in sincerity and truth because we do it out of a spirit of love according to the love with which we've been loved. And then when did we possess this love? We're already pretty good in ourselves. I was already halfway there. And uh, I really wanted to be good. And uh, I was trying to be a good person. And God came along and said, look how good he's trying to be. I better help him along a little bit and make him a really good person. Is that the way it worked for you? Or were you an enemy of Christ, of God's, and of his kingdom? And he called you And changed you. You know the answer to the question. We don't look around for those who deserve our good deeds. That's not the grounds on which we work. It's not the way we show this love. And then thirdly, remember that you've received this loving and attention and mercy not for your own sake. It never was for your sake. It was always beloved for Christ's sake. So when you look at that person who needs your love, not in word and tongue, but in deed and sincerity, remember, it's not for their sake, it's for Christ's sake that you're loving them. And then lastly, consider how richly, fully, and generously you have been loved. How would it be for you and me if the Lord looked on us and said, if they were only a little better, I could love them more? Is that the way we're loved? It's not, is it? We're just richly and fully and generously loved, and the Lord's grace is poured out in the whole world that way. Those who don't believe don't see it. They don't understand it. They don't grasp it. But it's poured out over the whole world that way. If you can grasp even a little of that, then you'll understand, I think, just why lip service or good intentions just aren't enough. And how important it is that if you and I are truly his little children, that we be careful to love one another and others. Not in word and tongue alone, but in deed and in truth as he commands. You now it's said of John that in his final years, and we believe that he lived to about 100. He couldn't preach long sermons. But he'd come in among the people of God, and everybody was thrilled to have John there. He was the last of the living apostles. And the one thing he could say, even in his old age, was, My little children love one another. And that was the sermon he preached in those churches that he went to, or when believers would come to visit him and ask for some word of wisdom, John would say, My little children love one another. And why? Well, because before you and me, beloved, is the one who acted not in word or tongue alone, but by acts of love beyond human imagination. And no one who understands the depths of the love of Christ in those actions, doubt in those actions, doubts the truth of his affection. In the fourth chapter, John writes this. In verse 9, in this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to go, oh, I'm so sorry for you. I feel so badly for you. That's not it, is it? but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The argument is irresistible and overwhelming. It is clear if we catch the inspiration of the dispensation under which we live, we must be filled with love one to another. God has exemplified it in the gift of his son. His son has exemplified it in the sacrifice of himself. This has been done for the very creatures among whom we dwell. If God so acted by them, how are we to act? If Christ so suffered for them, what are we to endure? We must live and labor for one another, says Morgan. The church, or I should say the people of the church, who are truly activated by the Holy Spirit and directed by the word of God in the example of Christ that church will be rich in good works, not in an effort to justify themselves, obviously, but as the evidence of true redemption and the work of sanctification. And let me conclude by simply pointing out a delightful side effect, which is actually mentioned by Samuel Pierce. And as a side effect we all enjoy, because we are those who love. Indeed and in truth. It's just important that we pause every once in a while and make sure that we aren't getting comfortable in where we've been. And instead of being anxious as to where we're going and what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. But here's the delightful side effect if they attend to this subject, that is loving, in deeds and in truth. They would most certainly be kept from sin. They would lose all relish for it, as they were favored with soul-refreshing views of the everlasting love of the Father and the glories of Christ's person as God-Man and as complete and His complete salvation. While the minds of saints are so engaged being worried about loving in word and in truth, all is well. Sin is subdued and grace is quickened, revived, excited, and strengthened. Paul wrote this to the Thessalonians in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. He says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, Because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. To which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or epistle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. We are thankful for one another in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have evidence of the truth of our faith in the gospel. And now it's our prayer that the Lord will comfort our hearts and establish us in those good works which will be a testimony and a service, not only to one another, but to those all around us. As we continue to open and develop this theme, we're going to be talking about some of those ways in which you may be able to serve and give of yourself, not just in word and tongue, but in deeds and in truth. And I pray the Spirit of God will rally us together to do those things, which will be a testimony to the fact that we are his little children. We know it, and we know what our duty is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this passage and for its simplicity. Lord, we pray for the humility to hear it as little children. We pray, Lord, for the teachability to not only hear it, but to be willing and ready to act upon it. And we pray, Lord, that you would then uh, equip us to go out and to do what we know we are called on to do. What manner of love is it that we've been called the children of God? And being your little children, Lord, we pray that we would hear your word in the spirit of that affection that you have for us. And then, Lord, carry that affection to those in need all around us. Help us, Lord. Strengthen us, Lord. Teach us, Lord. If there's any who do not know what it means to be a little child in Christ, we pray, Father, that even now you would speak to their hearts about the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, that you would render them little children, that they might hear the summons of the gospel clearly and have the grace and faith to respond by your goodwill toward them. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. Lord, bless us. Help us to move forward, Lord, in a way that glorifies you and fulfills the command which you've laid upon us as your little children. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Let's stand together and we'll turn to hymn number 532.